0: Well, let's turn to Titus chapter 1, last passage of scripture in chapter 1 tonight. We'll be in verses 12 through 16. Title of the message, The Contradiction Works That Deny." And I don't know if you remember last year during the uh, basketball season playoffs, um, I kind of went off on uh, Kevin Durant. I remember I called him out here from the pulpit because if you remember, in the playoffs, he got hurt, whatever, and, and then he goes on like a, this, tweet, um, whatever rant, laced with profanity, and talking about the fact that he was ready to shoot some tequila and everything, and and I just was so I was taken aback because a guy here who professes Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to the world, and yet on the other hand makes a statement and does this everything, and of course. I'm not trying to um, beat up on him, but I am trying to call him out again, because those are works that deny. And if you remember back in 2006, the name Pastor Ted Haggard, anybody remember that story? President of the National Association of Evangelicals, representing 40,000 churches pastor of a megachurch in Colorado, 14,000 members I think at the time. He's on a radio broadcast and he's speaking against homosexuality. And lo and behold, there just happens to be somebody listening to that some way, somehow. We know how. And it happened to be the homosexual lover of the last three years of Ted Haggard, who heard the hypocrisy on the radio and literally pulled his covers and said, ah, hmm, oh really? You're gonna talk like that? I'm the guy you've been having sex with for the last three years and buying drugs from. He was not only, you know, bisexual because he was married at the same time, but he was also doing methamphetamines, works that deny... And I think ultimately, when we look at the Bible, the ultimate works that deny were the works of Judas. When you read that story again, there, how here he was under Jesus's teachings for three years, with the guys in and out, hanging out. And you know the funny thing? I don't not funny thing. I don't think that Judas like had a, you know, I don't think he didn't like Jesus for some reason, but I think his love for money superseded anything that made any logical sense. And you read in the gospels how he, of course, worked things out with the Pharisees and was going to betray Jesus. And he goes into the garden and he walks up to Jesus, the ultimate slap in the face, but he says, Rabbi, Rabbi. And then he Gives him a kiss, and of course Jesus knew. Judas, you betray the Son of God, Son of Man with a kiss. Ultimate works that deny the, the, the Judas kiss. And and I bring all that up because we look at this passage of scripture and basically really this was what this passage talks about. Verse sixteen, of course, they profess to know God, but in works they deny him. And sad to say that in our works, oftentimes, we deny Jesus. We we give him that Judas kiss. Maybe not intentionally to betray him, but in our flesh, in our sin, these works that deny the contradiction. And the immorality and the greed and the unrighteousness of the Cretans was, was characteristic of the false teachers. And it's interesting, one of them, a prophet of their own, This guy that they're talking about, this is the poet Epimenides, and he was a Greek intellect from the 6th BC. He actually coined this phrase. He was native of Crete, so, of course, he knew the Cretans very well because he said, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, and this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them. Of course, Paul, again, speaking to Titus, this is what you got to do. Here's what's going on. Rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in the works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. And, of course, their reputation is, and their behavior was going to be a great challenge for Titus to overcome. Paul knew that. It was like Paul telling the Thessalonians to abstain from sexual immorality when really the Thessalonians were raised under the teaching, under the, the false teaching, of course, that practicing sexual immorality was okay. It was totally right on. Even the Gnostic teachers of the day spoke of the fact that the the body and the spirit were separate, so you could do whatever you want with your bod. It didn't have any effect on you. It was going to be a challenge, and Paul saw that their reputation and behavior was a complete contradiction to what the behavior of a Christian man or woman should be. And, and if they continued to act this way, if the changes didn't come, how would anybody there get saved? How could they respect the people in the church when you're just as much a heathen as me? That doesn't work. The hypocrisy that's in the church. And of course, this, this behavior was opposite of the qualifications of an elder. So there was you know, a whole revamp of the whole system there. And ultimately starting with the fact that the elder was to be blameless, above reproach. And of course, the challenge for us up front here, I mean, what, what, what in our lives, our actions, or our beliefs is contrary or a contradiction to the Lord Jesus. You know, I love, I love God's word. I mean, it, there's so much good. Jesus loves me in it, but there's also so much correction. Why? Because our hearts are deceitful, they're wicked. Our flesh is prone to wander. It wants to get off track. Unless I'm I'm reading God's word and it's correcting me and I'm receiving from God, I'm gonna find myself in a, ted haggard situation or a kevin durant situation god forbid but are there things in our lives that simply contradict what it means to be a christian do people our wives our kids our co-workers our family members do they hear one thing coming out of our mouths but they see something else is it the do do as i say not as i do mentality and our words and actions and behaviors are the opposite of what we would call Christian behavior. Is there a Judas kiss, in a sense, going on in our lives? And it ultimately amounts to our works. Verse 16 again, they profess to know God. Isn't that like dispiercing? But in works, they deny him. Man, smoking. But in works, these works, actions, behavior, words, deeds, how they live their lives. And of course, the problem with the Cretans and the elders and the false teachers is that even though they professed faith in Jesus, there wasn't no change. It didn't line up. Their actions, their behavior, their life didn't line up with, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. And we see that a lot when people come to faith oftentimes. And you can truly tell when someone has come to faith because there is a change. When I came to Christ. And there was a U-turn. I mean, people saw it. People commented on it. People thought I was crazy. People tried to get me to go back to the old way. When you came to Christ, there was a U-turn. You made a change. And there was evidence, you guys. Evidence. See, our, listen to this. Our new works were not contrary, but our new works were complementary. They weren't contrary to Jesus. They were complementary to Jesus. And you ask yourself, where's the evidence in my life? And and you've heard it before, in a court of law, could it be proven that you are a Christian? Is there enough proof? Is there enough evidence? Would people testify? Could they testify? Or could it be, man, yeah, Kevin Durant talks all big game, but... Man, you should hear that guy in the locker room. You should see him when we're out at the bar. You should see him when we're at the, the girly clubs. Man, is there enough evidence, you guys? A little bit of application up front. Number one, though, the characteristics. The characteristics, verse 12. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Man. <laughs> they were liars and the Cretans were known as liars to Cretanize was the same as saying to lie oh you just Cretanized you just Cretanized oh you're a Cretanizer and the, one of the most famous lies I read was the claim that, that the god Zeus was actually buried there out on the island and yet the problem with that was that Zeus was supposed to be immortal right <laughs> big lie oh yeah Zeus is buried out of here on the island They were liars, they were evil beasts. The ideas are they would behave like wild animals, brutish and cruel. One, living only to satisfy the base things of the flesh. Two, living solely on the level of the sensual appetites. And three, the flesh was their master and they did whatever was needed to satisfy this thing called the flesh. And in that process, this caused them to be malicious and brutal horrible. They were lazy gluttons. It was said of the Cretans, they hated to work. They loved to eat. They were self-indulgent, greedy, lustful, uh, even to the point where they said they were probably overfed and overweight. And it, it just, I, you know, I mean, you think of the Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, that whole, when they're out on Tortuga, remember that scene on Tortuga, and it's just a raucous, huge party going on and flesh all over the place and, and, That drink's flowing and fighting and just, oh. Paul says this testimony is still true. The characteristics. Number two, the confrontation, though, for Titus. Verse 13 and 14. This testimony is true. Therefore, Mr. T, Titus, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. Man, what a challenge. So Paul instructs him, hey, reprove them. Rebuke means to cut as with a knife. Titus wasn't to beat around the bush. He wasn't to sugarcoat. He was to be direct with no mention of words. He was to confront really in the same manner that we read how Paul confronted Peter in the book of Galatians when he he really basically talks about what he did. Remember that phrase he said? I withstood him to the face. In modern-day vernacular, I was all up in his grill, just right up in his feet, right there. Now, it wasn't in such a way that it was like, you know what, you come one step closer, like, you know, the baseball coach and the umpire, and they're just nose-to-nose, and they're going to fight. They're going to fist fight. It wasn't, it's not that. But he was to be a John Wayne Or for you younger guys, a Liam Neeson, maybe even younger guys, a Jason Bourne, to these guys instead of a Don Knotts. So, reprove them. (laughs) Poor Don Knotts, man. I bet he was probably a pretty tough little guy, huh? When you think about it. But he acted well. He played the part. He convinced me that he was, you know, (laughs) the ghost of Mr. Chicken, still the best. Still the best. All you young guys are going, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> Ghost and Mr. Chicken. If you don't remember that movie, my goodness. So reprove them too, to instruct them. They were to be sound in faith and doctrine. So the rebuke was not to condemn. Here's, here's the key, guys. It wasn't to condemn, but to seek to correct their doctrinal error and their personal sin. See, the rebuke was to be remedial. It was to fix. It was to fix their heart, to, to build them up. I read this quote that says, the surgeon of the soul only cuts to achieve a cure. Isn't that good? And in our response to people and in our interaction with them, there has to, the, heart behind, the heart behind it has to be that, that I want to help you. I want to help fix you. I want to help cure your, your false teaching or your false perceptions or your, your thoughts whatever. whatever. No, no, no. Here's the truth of God's word. So to reprove, to instruct, but, of course, to correct. And the Jewish fables, the myths, to turn them from that. These were the superstitions and unfounded stories, really inspired by Satan. They were man-made, handed down from generation to generation. So that's the Jewish fables and the myths, but also the commandments of men, to turn from those. And, of course, these were the legalistic ordinances and standards that added to, but often contradicted, scriptures. So that was the confrontation. Then number three, we have the contrast, verse 15. Interesting verse here. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and their conscience are defiled. And, and of course, Paul, he's, he's referring to the Jewish fables and the commandments of men. These are in contrast between the pure believer and the defiled unbeliever. And the issue was one of legalism and eating the food. See, the legalist wanted the believers to adhere to the very strict dietary laws of the Judaizers and the habits of the Jews. Remember what Peter told the Lord in Acts chapter 10 when God was trying to explain to Peter that food was now clean, and so were the Gentiles. And he says, take Peter, rise and eat. Peter, like, ha, 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 Not me, Lord, I've never touched anything unclean. I'm not anything, not so, Lord, you know, and God kind of like, come on, Peter, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And he says, don't, what God has called clean, don't call unclean. Speaking of food, but also speaking of the Gentiles. So there was this whole deal on eating. So Paul says, what he's saying here is whether you eat meat or don't eat meat, whether you wash your hands or don't wash your hands, Matters not one bit, although I do want you to wash your hands. (laughs) You can eat anything you want with clean hands or unclean hands. The legalism in it was, oh, no, no, it's just works-based righteousness. But in eating anything you want with unclean, because to the pure, to those who are saved, all things are pure. All things are good. All things are lawful. Not all things are. Are lawful all things are pro- or all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Now, if you're an unbeliever, what he's saying: your diet will not change your relationship with Jesus. No matter what you're trying to do on the outside, if it hasn't been changed on the inside, you're wasting your time. Wasting it. You're still in your sin and thus defiled in God's eyes. Remember, what Jesus said, "It's not that which goes in." Or that which comes out, the end that goes defiles, is what comes out. What comes out is what comes out of your heart. And out of your heart proceeds adulteries and fornications and covetousness and lies and all that that huge list that Jesus speaks about. So the key here is when a person is pure in heart and mind, his perspectives on life is pure. He sees the good in people first. But when a person is defiled and unbelieving, their perspective is negative, it's critical, and it's from the perspective, you know what? Everyone's out to get me. Remember, you meet people like that. There's a conspiracy theory in everything, in a donut. No one brought, any, Oh, I said the donuts over there. I never got any tonight. Even in a donut. See, they're suspicious of motives of all because since there's no good in them, in them, that they are saying there's no good can be in anybody. And that's what Paul is talking about here. So that's the contrast between the pure and the undefiled. And then verse 16, we have the concession. See, they profess to know God, but it works that in I am. The concession is the acknowledgement of this truth. Their works speak of their actions, like I said, their behavior, their words, how I live. And by these works, there was no evidence, no way that they could prove that they knew Jesus. And so this is the concession. And, of course, the example that Paul gives specifically for us, of course, is going back to the Cretans. Lying, sexual immorality, lack of self-control, legalism, self-righteousness, all things that we need to examine with ourselves. And Paul said that those whose works didn't line up with their professed beliefs, number one, they were detestable. Of course, my translation says abominable. Really, a word that is used to describe the Antichrist. Pretty heavy. Speaking of which, in Revelation 21, says they will have no place in heaven. They were detestable. They were disobedient. And interestingly enough, there's one sure way to know whether you are a believer if you've truly come to know Christ. Simply, those who know the Lord obey him, and those who don't know the Lord don't. Simple as that. Not that we obey God perfectly all the time, but if I disobey God and I don't care, that could be evidence as well. If I disobey God and there's the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that's good evidence. And it's always good. Hey, you know, how do you know for sure you're saved? Well, you know what? I'm doing my best to obey God, and when I don't, it bums me out. Amen? Amen. They were detestable, they were disobedient, and they were disqualified, you guys. It means they were worthless and rejected. As Paul said at Timothy, they were disapproved concerning the faith. Now an application. Works that deny, the contradiction. Going back to, again, what we talked about, what works in your life, deny or refute your confession or belie your confession of Jesus Christ. And this is where, of course, we have to look at ourselves. What are the contradictions? Maybe, maybe it's like what the Cretans were going through. Maybe there's an issue of lying. Do you, do you have a reputation of being an honest person? Or is there enough stuff going on in your conversation with people you work with, family members, even your own wives? Now you, there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of, you're throwing the white lies in there. You're you're stretching the truth. You're exaggerating the truth. You're you're kind of you're, you're kind of bending things a little bit here. How about the sexual immorality issue? And this just speaks to holiness, guys. This is sexual immorality as a whole. You know, we can talk about the pornography issue. We can talk about adultery. Obviously, anything that's going on. The, but it really it's it's a matter of the heart. And and even looking at these works that deny where you work in your workplace you know when, when you're interacting with the the people that you work with and the women that are involved and I've said this before what is their impression you know what would they say about you if if they, they were asked if they were supposed to be honest hey what do you think of so-and-so I mean you know it's I mean is you in your conversation is is are there works that are denying? Are you talking things with other women that you shouldn't be talking? Are you flirting? Are you playing? Are you are you messing around? Are you speaking of these sexual innuendos? Are you joking with them? Are you goofing off like that, thinking just because everybody else in the office does the same thing, that it's okay for you, and yet you're the Christian man? You're the one who talks about going to church on Sunday, and you and your wife and all this kind of stuff, and yet, I mean, you're you're staring, you're looking, you're flirting. But maybe there's a lack of self control. Maybe there's anger. You just, I just I just way I am, like Popeye, I am what I am. You know, you can't control it. Maybe it's the lack of self control in the area of lust. And you know, going back to what he says here, they were lazy gluttons. I'm just going to say it. A lack of self control in the area of your diet. That's a witness, guys. You know, it's interesting, you know, Ross Rhodes, speaking to him, in my conversations with that man, do you know that in the Billy Graham Evangelical Association, to be a part of that, to be involved in that, to be within that group of men, that if if you were overweight, I'm not talking maybe 10 pounds, I'm talking overweight, but if you were, you you weren't welcome into that because it spoke of a serious lack of self-control. And, and, you know, we don't talk about it much. I mean, it's a personal issue, of course. But, you know, and there's medical issues and reasons behind it, but there's obviously, you know what, I mean, that in and out's looking way too good. And I don't have the control, the self-control to say, I can't or I shouldn't eat that. So maybe it's lying, there's sexual morale, there's lack of self-control. But maybe your Christianity is like the The false teachers, legalistic Christianity, works-based. Your righteousness and your salvation are based upon what you do or don't do. And then the worst thing about the legalists is how they judge others who don't do it exactly the way they do. And they pick apart you or anybody else that's, oh, well, you know, you're wearing the wrong kind of clothes. Oh, you know, you you went to that movie? Oh, man, I'm telling you what, you know, what's wrong? You're going to hell, I mean... My goodness, I was just Midway. Come on. Anybody go see Midway? I saw it yesterday. Yeah, amazing. So heartbreaking. Or maybe yours is religious Christianity. It's the going through the motions, following the commandments or traditions of men. and See, these works that deny, when people, when they see it, it's just, oh, you, you, you talk about this, you talk about this, I do this, I do this, I do this, but then there's nothing that backs it up. Or maybe, more up-to-date, maybe, maybe yours is a political Christianity. In context to the politician, they say one thing and they do another. And I was thinking about the oxymoron of an honest politician. Isn't that sad? And yet, that could be the same as us. Our, our religion, our Christianity is the same. And you think about it, I mean, you guys probably read the story about Biden re- being refused communion. I Tell you what, my hat is off to that priest. That's bold. You know, and yet, he stood his ground. No, Biden's position on abortion and everything else, you know, no way. You ain't getting, you ain't getting that, that holy wafer, you know, <laughs> even as it is. But I was, I was impressed. Or, or maybe your Christianity is defined by your political affiliation. Ah, nah, wait a minute. I'm going to step on some shoes and toes here. You know what? I'm Democrat, so this is how we act. Or I'm Republican, and this is how we act. Political Christianity. But even that political Christianity can move into cultural Christianity. And that's huge huge. In our church, we got a lot of cultural Christianity going on because we got a lot of cultures. See, your culture defines your Christianity instead of the Bible. See, here's my culture and my Bible. They're close. The culture comes first. Don't mess with my culture. Don't even say it, Pastor Rob. Don't even mess around with it. But the culture often takes precedence. And then the culture dictates even the political affiliations. It is what it is. This is what I am and who I am, and this is my political affiliation. This is who I am, what this is it. So it's so legalistic Christianity, religious Christianity, political, cultural, and in these types of Christianity and such, the, the works can deny the Lord. Works that deny. Whatever it might be. But of course for all of us, as usual, as we look at God's word, a self-examination is in order. Daily, really. Paul told the Corinthians to examine themselves to see if they were in the faith. Examine your own life. Look at your own life. Look at your walk. Are your works complementary or are your works denying, contradictory. David asked the Lord himself to do that. That's an even greater challenge because, see, we can ask people, we can look in the mirror, but if we're not honest with ourselves with what's going on here and here, because we can look real good right outside, but man, the problem with the Pharisees, Jesus knew their hearts and he knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. You can't get it. You can't You know, well, he doesn't know what I'm thinking. You can't put on the little foil, you know, alien deal and think the Lord isn't going to know what you're thinking. Man. But then to ask the Lord, Lord, you show me. Lord, you speak to me. That's the true self-examination. That's the true sitting before God and saying, Lord, try me, know me. If there be any wicked way, any way in me, that is improper, that is wrong. And being open about your pride, about your lust, about your anger, about the sexual immorality, about the things that are improper before the Lord. Be honest with them. Lord, how, how am I perceived in my office, in the workplace? Do I, do I see something different than what the people see? Because when deception comes, and man, the devil is, he's crazy good. And, and that's why we need accountability around us. And we need brothers that you can even be honest to go to him and say, look, man, do you, what do you see? Be honest. Tell me the truth. I, I, I need to know. You know, the devil's messing with my head. And I'm not. Or you can be so deceived, so blinded, so caught off guard that you don't even know the truth anymore. The truth is like a Cretan here you're a filthy lying sexually immoral beast so to speak and everybody knows it but you your wife coworkers man and yet we put on the old christian hat man so for us guys we, we got to take stock that examination and we got to be honest, and we got to say, Lord, speak. And then, and then when he speaks, man, we got to repent. we got to make the changes. It doesn't do any good for God to speak to you, and you say, thanks, Lord. I'll think about it. You know, you're not always right. You could be wrong this time, you know. Repent, correct. Let, let God do the surgery in your heart. As Ezekiel said, God was going to put a new heart in the people. But then, guys, start walking the talk. Years ago, I was down in uh, San Diego at Mike McIntosh's church, and I was hanging out with his administrator, a guy named Ed Mitchell. Older guy, had already made all kinds of money, and he was in the ministry just helping out Mike and everything, and he was master administrator and everything. But this guy was the real deal. And he had a shirt on. I remember part of me hanging out, with we went to a, a church they were building, and we checked on the job site, and then we went to a, a, a missions class, and he walked right in. He taught the missions class, you know, because they, the, they had a Bible college there. And then we, then we went straight to the gym. We did a little workout, and he had a shirt on that said, Walk the Talk. And I was just so impressed with that. Man, this dude's walking the talk. His walk is, is there, at least from what I saw. But guys, that's what we got to do. See, the world is seeing enough of works that deny. Oh, my gosh. And we're all guilty in some form or fashion to some degree or another. Okay? But we need to stop that from happening. See, we need to quit acting like the devil and start acting more like the Lord. Everywhere we go. Because... Really, what's at stake is, is life and death. Because people won't read the Bible, but they're reading you. And it's, 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 it's a tough responsibility, guys. It really is. You have such a, huh, a heavy load, in a sense. I mean, what if you fell? What if you stumbled? What if you did a Ted Haggard thing? Sort of. Not the weird, you know, but adultery, whatever. What would that do to your wife, your kid, your family, your sphere of influence? Man, sometimes I think about it, it scares me to death. I have a picture of my office. It's, it was a Christmas picture we took, and we're all there. And we, we'd had this pastor's meeting, and we're talking. It might have you know, been Bob Coy, whatever, years ago. But I remember taking that picture, and I got a little Avery label, and I typed on this Avery label, had it done the computer, what would you say if, dot, dot, dot. And you know the crazy thing is, my wife was in my office. She said, what's, what's that? <laughs> well, hon, that is a reminder that if I do something stupid, what am I going to say to you and our kids? She was kind of like, Nothing's happening, huh? Don't worry if I'm just saying that. But seriously, though, guys, what would you say if? What would you say? What would you say to your kids? What would you say to your wife? Oh, my gosh, I'd rather die. Literally, I would rather die. And let that be just for all of us. Man, this, this wake-up call that says, look at your works, how you're living your life. Again, do they compliment Jesus or are they contradicting Jesus? Jesus. And I hope in your groups there's some good discussion. And some maybe some confession, some true honesty. Because you know what? Psalm 84 tells me my God is ready to forgive. Right now, He's ready to forgive. Great God we serve. So patient, so merciful, so kind. And He knows what's going on in your lives. And this could be the warning. This could be the wake-up call. This could be the little tap on the shoulder of the Holy Spirit that says you got about five seconds before a bolt of lightning comes through the ceiling. (laughs) You and God, me and God, self-examination, Lord, examine me. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this book. Thank you for the challenge. And yet, Lord, again, thank you so much for your love for us. Because even as we read that quote, the surgeon of the soul only cuts that he may bring a cure. So bless them, Lord, I pray tonight in their groups. Help us all, Lord, to continue walking strong in you, fighting the good fight of faith, as Paul said to Timothy, Lord. So bless you, pray in Jesus' name. Amen.